we're probably most excited about reopening trades, but staying balanced with asset allocation and some defensive factors, I think, can also really help out. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The latest COVID lockdown measures have not put a dampener on equity market performance. Yet, on the fixed income side, the short end of the yield curve is posing serious concerns for bond investors. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Matt Montemuro, along with your host Mark Rays, dig deeper into these trends and offer tried and tested, as well as some out-of-the-box solutions to stabilize your client portfolios. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to the BMO Global Asset Management weekly ETF call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Rays, head of product for BMO GAM Canada. Today, we're joined by Matt Montemuro and Chris Heeks, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Matt focuses on fixed income, while Chris focuses on equity and derivative strategies. Let's begin uh, I want to start with a broader question as markets keep climbing higher despite COVID variants dominating headlines and now closer to home, a renewed provincial shutdown, including sending all the kids home from school. So how do you justify this continued optimism? And for growth-focused investors, what ETF would you recommend uh, for advisor portfolios? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. You know, I think... In terms of, um, you know, justifying optimism, I think go back to two things that we've, we've talked about on the podcast a lot. One is the vaccine rollout, and it, it certainly doesn't feel like it's coming fast enough, particularly at home here in Canada. Uh, but but we do believe it is coming. Um, so from one perspective, you know, we think by Q3, at least, as we move into Q4, we're going to be in a much better place. So that's that's number one. And, and, and number two is continued stimulus, which is we're seeing globally from central banks, from governments, Canada, U.S., um, certainly no exceptions there. Um, that's another factor that we think, you know, helps propel uh, markets through the cycle. And that's one reason why we're seeing, I think, you know, increased asset prices. You know, in terms of um, how to position, you know, one, one thing that I think is interesting that we've been seeing recently is, you know, we're just coming off a quarter and March 31. We've seen some institutional investors um, kicking back their asset allocation, so making sure they're on their target asset allocation. And generally, that you know, involves selling some equity winners and buying some fixed income. So I think this is you know, one thing where we can uh, think about portfolios and, and certainly our asset allocation ETFs. You know, so whether it's the ZBAL, the ZCON, we've, we've got a suite, or the ZESG, um, you know, staying true and staying disciplined to that asset allocation is, I think, um, something that can be beneficial, you know, as we think about market positioning. Um, like I said, I think there's reasons to, to, to still be continually um, constructive here and, you know, timing the market and, and, and uh, selling equities out of fear is never the right answer, I think, usually. Um, but um, 
staying true to your asset allocation, staying disciplined is pretty key. So that's, I think, one. And our asset allocation ETFs obviously give you a self-rebalancing type of strategy to, to, to help accomplish that. You know, then the other thing I would add, you know, in terms of positioning is don't forget about the quality in the low-ball ETFs. And low-ball, particularly our ZLBs, had a little bit of a renaissance in performance over the past six weeks. Um, and quality is, you know, always, you know, we've talked about it a lot on the podcast, whether it's in U.S. or Europe or, or globally, um, you know, really good anchor to portfolios as well. So, you know, we're, we're probably most excited about reopening trades, but staying balanced with asset allocation and some defensive factors, I think, can also really help out uh, the portfolios as we navigate this, you know, kind of this environment over the next few months. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. And I think you had a couple of really interesting ideas in there, including uh, nice to see the low ball certainly rebounding your date relative to the market and kind of indicating a wider recovery this year. So certainly some some good opportunities considering that this optimism just doesn't doesn't seem to hit a wall. And something that kind of follows on that, uh, we sort of expected a wider shakeup of confidence when you when you consider the Arcagus uh, wipeout of value there. Uh, we're certainly seeing it hit certain banks like Credit Suisse being off almost 20% um, since the news came out in late March and now dominating news again with shuffling of uh, their executive suite. This has spooked some advisors a little bit on banks in general. However, it appears to be a blip. So is this risk contained? What's your outlook then for Canadian banks, uh, if you can position that with ZEB, our equal weight banks? Are they impacted by this backdrop? Thanks. Yeah, and I think you, you put it very kindly to say executive shuffling. Um, it's, it's more like, uh, yeah, executive, um, you know, they, they haven't just shuffled the deck. They've, they've gone to a new deck. So they're, you know, Credit Suisse has now will have a new chief risk officer, perhaps most importantly, and a couple of new executives as well. Um, you know, to answer your question, you know, I think it is contained. So we, we haven't really seen any kind of broader contagion, you know, appears to be, um, you know, really linked to this one client. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's this client who um, participated in some very large uh, derivative exposures um, that were not properly collateralized. And that's part of the reason why Credit Suisse has now, well, the, largely that's the reason they're now taking a almost a $5 billion loss on, on exposure on, on these derivative contracts. So, um, but like I said, the good news is it's, it's not really um, a contagion type of, um, you know, um, situation. It's not spreading to other um, counterparties. It appears to be pretty isolated. You know, I think the broader concern to, towards financials in general is, okay, so how much will this, you know, spur some increased regulation in the space? Um, and, and that's really the only, I think, downside to the broader sector. Um, but I would say that, you know, I think it's pretty limited. We did see some other banks kind of sell off in sympathy with, with Credit Suisse, not to the same extent, um, but they really recovered that the next day. So I think the market is looking at it. This is kind of a one, one-off isolated event. You know, in terms of the Canadian banks, um, one reason really institutional investors over, all over the world, going back to the financial crisis of 2008, you know, one, one thing that we've, you know, they've always looked at Canadian banks as being generally better capitalized and also a little more risk adverse as well. 
Um, so, you know, this is actually, you know, in a situation where Canadian banks could look even better relative to their international competition, um, just, just with um, knock on wood, speaking as a bank employee, stronger risk controls overall. Um, so you like to think this wouldn't happen with Canadian banks. And, um, you know, so they, they didn't have any exposure to this. So I think, um, you know, overall, it's a bit of an isolated event, certainly one that you... You know, there's a lesson to be learned about risk management. I think for any bank in the world, um, be careful with your exposures. Obviously, it's pretty key. Um, but Canadian banks, I think, are looking pretty strong. And, and even U.S. banks, for that matter, appears to be pretty isolated to Credit Suisse. And to a lesser extent, Nomura was also, Japanese bank was also um, impacted, but appears to be pretty isolated to them. Thanks, Chris. And we're certainly seeing that in the... Uh and the price movement in ZEB uh, maintaining its strength, uh, pricing in around 33.40 at this point. So certainly that bank recovery that we we called for last year is has continued to be in play. So Matt, I'm going to come your way now. Uh, we've seen the jump in, in nominal rates. Of course, the 10-year government of Canada bond has been hovering around 150 of late. For advisors concerned about inflation, can you comment on real rates? Uh, instead of just nominal rates, and how do they compare over the course of the recovery post-2008? If you can take it a little wider then, how is this impacting the role of fixed income in portfolios? Inflation is is definitely the the hot topic um, right now, and and it's one of the biggest concerns that I hear regularly from, from bond investors. We've seen significant steepening in the curve to start the year from a nominal level, but you know I think real rates tell a little bit different of a story. From a, a real yield perspective, as Mark alludes to, uh, you've seen that near-term inflation is, is the real worry right now, and uh, you see a significant spike in, in kind of some negative real rates in that five-year, um, 10-year space versus you know, a little bit less uh, of, of a worry, uh, a little further out the curve. Uh, when you when I, when I'm looking at the uh, real return bond curve and 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 I'm uh, trying to figure out you know what to do, where the biggest concerns are. You know, beyond 10 years, we are seeing real yields of about 25 basis points. Um, and then the five-year space is, is where the most, there's the most concern. So we see negative 91 basis points. That's the lowest part we see on the, on the curve. Uh, you know, moving out to 10 years, we're seeing about a negative 25 basis points. So you know, concerning definitely for bond investors who often look to fixed income for their stability as well as their income needs, you know, having a negative um, Yield, real yield in the portfolio does present some long-term concerns. You know, looking at the market as a whole, uh, I look at CPI and I see that CPI is coming in about just above 1%. And if you look at the market as measured by inflation break-even, you know, the market's actually pricing in a much higher expected inflation. So you know, just from, from those numbers, you're looking at five-year break-evens at about 1.9% you know, versus that, that current uh, realized inflation that CPI is calculating at, at, at 1%. And then you're looking at 10-year and 30-year break-evens that are around 1.75%. So again, what this means is that the market is saying that the expected inflation in the future is going to be much higher than the inflation that we're seeing um, generated 
using CPI. So again, that's a that's a concern for for fixed income investors. That's a, that can, that's a concern for everyone in the market. So you know, how do we protect ourselves against this? Looking historically, as as you had I mentioned, you know, the ten and thirty year break evens at about. 1.75% is actually in the lower range of what we saw during the recovery of 2008. So again, that, that's, that's pointing to me that there's more near-term inflation worries than longer term. If you look at the five-year break-evens, I think we're sitting at the, the high that we've seen over the last six years at, at 190. Um, and that's where I would, I would really be focusing on how do we protect ourselves from near-term inflation? You know, longer-term inflation, I don't think is as much of a worry right now, uh, or at least that's what the, the market's telling us through, through these break-even pricing. So inflation as a whole is a drag on, on fixed income returns. So, you know, what can an investor do to, to protect themselves? Uh, I would look at complementing my core fixed income right now and allocating about 5% to ZTIP, ZTIP.U or ZTIP.F. That's our U.S. Treasury Tips Inflation-Protected ETF. Specifically, this fund is uh, zero to five years. So that's actually exactly targeting uh, where we see that spike in inflation. So that near-term inflation, this fund would help you protect against that, that rise in near-term inflation. But it also uh, reduces your overall portfolio duration risk, which is important in a period of rising rates. So, you know, as we're seeing the steepening yield curve, we're concerned about inflation near term. You know, ZTIP actually kills two birds with one stone by reducing your overall portfolio duration, you know, therefore insulating some of that interest rate risk while also protecting yourself in the near term from that big um, kind of five-year worry zone that we that we see inflation break even being the highest across the curve. Another uh, way to, to look at protecting yourself on the fixed income side would be using something that's a little bit less traditional, a little less traditional option for fixed income and, and reallocating maybe another 5% of your core to something like ZPay. So, you know, this is not a pure fixed income exposure uh, as, it, as it can hold equity, but it is a strategy that collects premiums by writing put and call options. So, you know, in a world where, you know, as we just said, real yields are very thin, in some places some way, some place negative, you know, ZPay would provide a yield enhancement, providing a yield over 6%, while diversifying your fixed income return stream. So, you know, I think this is another way to, to think outside the box during a, a very challenging period for fixed income where, you know, we're seeing rising rates. So, you know, for anyone who has interest rate risk or, or, or duration risk, you know, that's going to be a negative. We see uh, increased inflation. You know, that's another draw, uh, uh, a drag on performance. You know, adding something that is uncorrelated, that is a non-traditional income and yield generator like ZPay uh, can help you really ride the wave and, and, and um, protect your, your portfolio uh, during these more challenging, challenging times. So, you know, that's, those are two different options that I think would be great complements to your traditional fixed income portfolio uh, during, you know, the near term where we're seeing rising rates and, you know, spiking inflation. I think those are two big worries that uh, both of those solutions will help you mitigate. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. Nice cover of the concerns right now in fixed income and most importantly, some good ideas about how to trade around those concerns.
You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO Games product suite. Check out episode 23 in the same podcast series where we take a deeper look at quality, a factor that performs in bull and bear markets. Learn about BMO's quality ETF suite, its impressive record of outperformance, and a risk return profile that suits most every investor appetite. I want to come back to equity now. And having just launched our clean energy ETF, ZCLN, uh, we're now seeing the index in the news. Of course, we've got an announced index change from S&P, which is really to broaden the number of constituents in the index. Now, with the surge in popularity of clean energy investing, how is this improving the exposure and helping advisors, uh, particularly when they might be concerned about dilution of the exposure. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Mark. And it's, it's you know, I, I view this as a really good news story for for the clean energy investing space. Um, you know, the space is, is, is kind of growing up, you know, right before our eyes, so to speak. Um, it's becoming a really, you know, legitimate, you know, very, very, um, in, you know, influential sector. And if you go back to this, when this index was created many years ago, clean energy was you know, much, much more speculative. I mean, it's obviously still speculative, speculative from an equity point of view, but, but 10 years ago, it's a much different story and there weren't so many companies involved. So a 30, so the, the index had been set at 30 names. Um, but as we've evolved, you know, many more companies are involved in it. And with the, um, you know, the investor interest and the flows going into clean energy, um, you know, S&P has uh, decided to, uh, build out a more robust exposure. So if you look at the new index, it's going to go from sort of about 30 holdings to approximately 70 holdings. So more than double the number of names. Um, there's going to be some improved liquidity measures as well. So the, the, the projected index is going to be about four times more liquid than the existing liquid, the existing index. Um, to your mention on the dilution, you know, what, what S&P is doing is allowing, you know, a slight Dilution, so a company doesn't have to be a hundred percent pure play clean energy. They'll allow some companies that are seventy-five percent clean energy. Um, but then, when mixing with those, you know, companies that are pure clean energy, the final exposure is going to be somewhere around ninety percent to that clean energy theme. So, you know, it's still it's a very, you know, in my view, it's a very marginal dilution from that theme for investors it's still going to be like 90 percent exposure to the clean energy theme but you're going to get a much more robust portfolio many more holdings better liquidity so i think you know going forward for investors you know looking to access this theme i think it's going to be you know a much more robust uh well-constructed index so i think it's going to have have um you know some notable benefits going forward so, um, so those changes are all taking effect next Friday, the April 17th, uh, sorry, April 16th. And, um, and yeah, I think that will, that will really position the ETF well to, to, um, you know, capture the broad trend going forward. So I really view it as a, as a positive story for the ETF and the construction of the ETF. And, um, and, and you know, and it's just to add to your point in terms of the, that surge and, you know, popularity, we're continuing to see flows to that space. So we, we, you know, we're continuing to be very excited about it, especially with the pullback in price. You know, we launched clean energy, our Z clean around 30 bucks. Now it's around that 22 to 23 range. 
it was probably a little bit ahead of itself, you know, kind of out in front over the handlebars, so to speak. But, um, but you know, it's much more attractively priced now. And we think for a long-term kind of buy and hold investor who can take a little more risk uh, in their portfolio, that this, this is an ETF that can potentially add, you know, to with some outsized returns, you know, as this clean energy um, movement kind of really takes shape over the coming years and even decades. So, so it's, so, so it's uh, kind of an exciting event for the ETF, but I think it's one that is going to serve investors very well in the long term. Thanks, Chris. And just in my conversations with S&P, I thought they made a really interesting point is that the industry itself really has been growing and evolving as more companies get into this space and some existing companies start to pivot or transition their, their businesses. So adding more constituents obviously helps the liquidity and profile of the ETF, but also is a better reflection of, of changes in the actual marketplace. So overall, a good story, uh, and it'll come into play as of end of next week. One last question for me before we go to the lines. Uh, now that we're through the first quarter, it really seems that this value trade uh, has been solidifying and holding up compared to growth, uh, especially when we compare it back to 2020. Do you see this continuing to play out over 2021? And what ETF would you recommend for this trade? Thanks. Yeah, well, I think, I think uh, you know, the, the, the factors that are in play that are driving the value recovery I mean, they're still there, and we talked them off the top. We talked about that off the top of the call. Um, you know, value as a factor has underperformed for 10 years, and it was really punctuated last year. You know, in the first three quarters of the year, at least, uh, where where large cap, you know, work from home tech, call it, uh, really dominated. You know, when the vaccine announcement came out in early November, that really spurred the recovery trade, and you know, value by its nature holds companies that are, um, you know, somewhat depressed or beaten up. You know, I think importantly with our value ETF, so ZBU and ZVC, there's value in the U.S. and Canada. We do have a forward-looking measure of value as well, which I think is, is very important. So it's not just beaten up companies, but it's beaten up companies who, 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 have, who have better, you know, future, you know, expected value as well. Um, so, you know, in terms of those those drivers we talked about, like right off the top, the, the vaccine rollout and the stimulus, they're still in effect. So, um, you know, I think this will continue to help um, value-oriented um, exposures continue to recover. You know, I think we're, we're certainly hitting a bit of, you know, a negative patch in terms of news and the vaccine rollout right now. But, but again, it's our kind of um, baseline um, hypothesis that it's going to kind of recover over the course of the year. And, and we're getting, Canada's getting um, at least 2.3 million vaccine doses this month. Um, so that's, you know, that's going to help. So it's just going to take some time, I think. But um, yeah, so the, the trends are in place and, and, you know, the values really have been outperforming substantially. So if you look at a factor equity point of view, the values have been your top play. You know, dividends have been doing well as well. We, we talked about it, but really, um, value has been, you know, um, a great trade. And, you know, I think it's one that it's, it's too early to say the value rotation has happened. I think there's still more to come. So yeah, exciting, um, exposure for investors to consider to, um, to put some of that into their portfolio. 
Thanks, Chris, and as well for those concerned about higher valuations, looking at those momentum-driven names from 2020, uh, adding some value certainly helps to balance that out with something like our ZBU ETF. At this point, I would like to go to the line and see if there are any questions for Matt and Chris. Hi, good morning. My question is on commodities. We've seen the start to April positive for material companies and, and gold companies alike, but both moving up. And I was hoping that you could share your insights or perhaps team view on commodities, specifically on the equity side. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think uh, gold's an interesting one. It's really started to, to, to kind of turn around. Um, you know, that's been consolidating the price. I think if some investors have... Um, you know, sold off the gold as as this kind of market recovery has taken place, but we're starting to see a little bit of uh, upward momentum in the last kind of two to three weeks as well. So, you know, gold is something we believe that can help diversify portfolios and our ZGD ETF gives you exposure to gold in the form of gold equities. Um, again, it's come off quite a bit from the peak, but um, showing some you know, some nice little momentum over the past few weeks. So having a little bit of in your portfolio can um, certainly help you diversify and build a better portfolio. You know, in terms of the other commodity complex, call it the base metals and uh, oil, you know, this, this going back to our recovery trade that, that you know, we view the, re- the reopening trade as starting in, you know, essentially November 1st. You know, these have been some of your top performing, um, top performing exposures have been our ZMT and ZEO. And, you know, again, we think um, there's probably still some more room to run in terms of the reopening trade, and that could serve these, you know, exposures quite well, you know, and, and I'd even throw in a ZIN industrials, you know, it's been having very good performance as well. And there's a, there's a natural connection between industrials and the, and the commodity complex as well. So there's just kind of yet another way to take a look at it from, from a sector point of view. So, you know, I think in the context of the reopening trade, you know, where we see us as um, still kind of in the thick of it, um, still some more room to go uh, to reopen, um, you know, it should serve serve some of those, um, you know, base metals, energy, industrials um, should be, um, should serve those exposures well. So constructive there. Hi there, I have a question on uh, sectors. I'm looking at uh, currently consumer discretionary stocks and consumer staples, and I've been noticing that they've both sort of been trending up. Uh, generally, according to my my understanding, is usually one moves in one direction and usually the other one goes in the other direction. Um, I guess my question is, which one do you guys favor um, and what's a, a good way of playing um, um, the sector that you favor? Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks for the question. So we have um, you know, both a global discretionary DISC is the ticker, D-I-S-C, and we have staple as well, S-T-P-L. Um, you know, and, and generally we see the, this, the discretionary is the more cyclical of the two and the, and the this consumer staples is your more defensive. So, you know, we often see them kind of um, zigging and zagging a little bit versus each other. Um, if you look at year to date, the disc is up about eight uh, percent, staples up uh, two and a half. So you know, again, going to the the reopening thesis, where you know cyclical overall has been in demand, um, you know that's favored the disc. So you know, probably all things 
being equal, if we get that vaccine rollout kind of continue to happen, you know, and, and get some positive momentum would be great. Um, but if we get that to continue to happen and we continue to have stimulus, which I think, you know, again, are our baseline, I think it, you know, may favor DISC, um, the discretionaries for, for the rest of the year. But, um, but, you know, certainly, you know, one thing we'd be, you know, one, one thing we've kind of talked about in the podcast, especially off the top today was, you know, also staying balanced with asset allocation, staying balanced with some defensive sectors or defensive factors or sectors as well. So, um, so, but not 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 suggesting to go kind of all all the eggs in one basket, but but probably disc um, would give it the nod, um, probably for the rest of the year. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Thanks for listening in, uh, and as well, big thanks to both Matt and Chris. Uh, for your insights on the market today. Uh, certainly, as normal, a lot of activity out there to be considered and thought about in terms of trade ideas and how to best apply them to your portfolios, uh, as well a really good conversation around fixed income today, as I think a lot of us don't spend enough time thinking about uh, real rates as opposed to, to nominal rates. So once again, just want to say thank you to everyone for joining us and have a great day. Thank you to Chris Heeks, Matt Montemuro, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, our experts emphasized the importance of staying true to your asset allocation strategy and recommended pairing factors such as quality and low vol for steady gains. Within fixed income, advisors can offset the impact of near-term inflation and rising rates by incorporating the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF ticker ZTIP or the BMO Premium Yield ETF ticker ZPay which offers greater diversification and a strong hedge against duration risk. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.